everybody and welcome to the latest episode of the Safety Conversation with SHP. My name is Mark Glover, I'm the editor of SHP and this is actually going to be our final published podcast of the year. So it, it's a bit sort of timely, it's perhaps traditionally as we eke up towards the festivities that Christmas parties are going to be taking place and I guess generally a time when we slow down a bit perhaps relax, hang out with friends and families, eat a bit of food, but as, as well as that, there's a good chance you might also have a glass of wine or a, a pint of beer or, or something like that. So this episode, if you don't know already, is around alcohol, alcohol in the workplace, but we're not going to be talking too much about alcohol testing as such. That might be another conversation later on in the year, but, but I guess more about the impact of alcohol and its relationship around mental health and wellbeing um, and how that directly can have an impact on, on safety in the workplace. But ultimately, I'm conscious and don't want this to be a sort of preachy podcast to tell you to pack up drinking and go on a year-long yoga retreat and and eat fruit every day and do yoga at your desk or whatever it's more about just awareness and just to sort of share some anecdotes and just some sort of facts really about how alcohol so to help me I guess talk about this still maybe perhaps taboo subject I'm really excited because I've got a special guest today who's going to share her knowledge on on the topic both from a, a Candy, you know, a personal point of view, which is which is really important, but also from a workplace perspective. So, uh, uh, delighted to say, I'd like to welcome Janet Hadley from Choose Sunrise. Morning, Janet. Thanks for coming on. Morning. Really great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Um, actually, before we kick off, go into it, Janet. Do you want to just tell us a bit more about Choose Sunrise and, and what it is and what you're trying to achieve there, if, that, if that's okay? Choose Sunrise is an organisation that is founded on the belief that nobody should ever feel afraid to ask for help with alcohol use. And the reason why that's the founding belief is because that's where I found myself um, Mm -hmm. more than I was happy with and feeling really worried and ashamed of my own behaviour and afraid of being labelled an alcoholic. And it stopped me from asking for help for years. As I've come out of the other side of that and stopped drinking and become sober, my life has got infinitely better. I'm reflecting on all of the workplace well-being provision that Mm. I had and noticing how there was never anything about alcohol in any of the well-being provision that I had in my Mm. own places. And it was really the elephant in my well-being room. I think because it is so stigmatised, ultimately what we are setting out to do at Choose Sunrise is to bring positive messages around sobriety into the workplace, to make the workplace more sober inclusive and ultimately to eliminate that stigma that surrounds alcohol use disorder so that more people can find the help that they deserve and that they need and that people can never come anywhere close to needing those traditional alcohol services because they can address their relationship with alcohol when they first notice it going adrift. Sure, you touched on it there about your experiences in in the workplace, and I I guess what would be interesting to talk about is from um, an employer's perspective about what an employer's responsibility around this area is. It's, It's a bit of a tricky one, as you say, I guess if someone's got a problem around alcohol or they're struggling and but yet like you did you managed to find the courage to come and be brave enough to say hold your hand up and say look particularly to to someone at work but that's a big thing isn't it for for a company to perhaps deal with and I, and I wonder if there are some you know and, and, a, a, and people listening might be going well, like how do how do I even begin to ap- approach that but, but what sort of things can people put in place to make people feel comfortable like coming forward about, about something like that? If you just wanted to do something very simple as a little exercise, go to your company intranet and type in the word alcohol. 
and see what comes up. So chances are there'll be an alcohol policy which will tell you which disciplinary procedures to use if somebody's caught drinking and driving or drinking on duty or something like that. There's probably if you've got any kind of safety critical um, roles, there'll be potentially something about alcohol testing in the workplace and which yep. disciplinary procedures to use when people fail the tests and very little about what to do if somebody comes forward and says actually I'm worried about my own drinking very little about any support that might be in place very little signposting outside of perhaps AA or even drink aware which are my least favourite place for people to signpost to. Why, why uh, well, Drink Aware is funded by the alcohol industry and it is entirely focused on keeping people in moderate drinking. And I yeah. went to the Drink Aware, Aware website to, you know, that's one of the first places that came up when I kind of Googled, help me to yeah. stop drinking. Yeah. And the first thing it said was, you know, it's probably going to be easier for you to cut down than it is to stop. And that's directly the opposite of my experience. I tried to moderate for years. And ultimately, if somebody is Googling help with alcohol, do you know what? They've probably already tried to moderate. It has advice such as don't binge. I'm like, well, do you know what? That's brilliant. But how? how? <laughs> and yeah. It doesn't really help you because ultimately, let's face it, it's like asking Mr. Kipling to help you stop eating cake. You know, they don't really want to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, 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 and that's the same with AA as well, is that? Well, no, AA I am a fan of. Um, yeah. It's not how I got sober, but they have helped millions of people. Yeah, yeah. And they are free and they advocate stopping rather than moderating, which actually for a lot of people once you've run into trouble with alcohol stopping even if it's not forever having a long break is going to be easier actually than just carrying on trying to moderate so I do yeah, have yeah. time for AA but my point yeah. being really that if somebody's trawling their workplace intranet looking for support yeah, with yeah. alcohol they already know about AA and what they really need is someone who's relatable to them who's a grey area drinker who is nowhere near rock bottom you know they're holding down a job they're paying the mortgage they're raising children they've never woken up in a skip or poured vodka on cornflakes yeah, yeah but they yeah. are worried about their drinking yeah. and there's a real dearth of silence there's this just nothing out there in employers toolkits to say well actually this is what we suggest these are a load of resources and the reality is that there are all sorts of things that um, people can do to help address their own drinking in that situation and there's a huge huge kind of what I call an underground movement of sober rebels who are living their best lives without the booze who will welcome yep. you with open arms and show you that you can take a long break from alcohol or even stop forever and that your life will contrary to what you believe get better not worse <laughs> yeah no absolutely yeah. Oh, I so it's to kind of bring that spark of inspiration to people in the workplace and say, yeah, if you even when you are ready, come and you know come and find out more. That's all. Yeah, planting that yeah. seed. So it's kind of like a softly, softly approach a bit. Jamie. Yeah, it's not if someone yeah. goes on their intranet and because you're going to be hit by disciplinary procedure. Yeah. You're not seeing support, you're seeing AA and drink aware and you're thinking, oh, gosh, this is where I'm at at the moment. This is all there is. So it's sort of finding that middle ground, really, mm -hmm. I guess, and, and around the support, really, and, and for employers yeah. to feel confident in that. Well, I think when we look at stigma and why stigma exists, 
we put people in groups very quickly as humans. It's part of yeah. it's who we are. And yeah. that's kept us alive because, let's face it, in a hunter-gatherer society, knowing which groups you belong to and which groups you don't belong to is actually incredibly useful. So quickly sorting people into groups is an evolutionary necessity. And so when it comes to drinking, we think normal drinkers, alcoholics. That's it. But of course, the reality is that nobody goes from being a normal drinker to being addicted to alcohol without going through this huge grey area in the middle. And the work that I do aims to reach those people in that grey area and say, it's okay. you know, you don't have to label yourself as an alcoholic. You don't have to carry this stigma around. You can actually do something about this escalating drinking before things get anywhere near to addiction. Being in the skip. Yeah, exactly. And actually, there are a huge amount of mental health and physical health benefits that you will reap from Mm. taking action sooner rather than later. And if you don't believe me, come and join our sober communities, of which there are thousands, and just absorb some of the atmosphere. Just see and listen to some stories about people who are exactly like you, who have decided to put down the bottle, whether it's for 100 days, six months, a year or forever, and just see how they're flourishing. You yeah. might be surprised. Let's um, pull it back a bit, I guess, uh, more uh, more around the guidance and, and stuff. If, you, if you're a co- colleague at work is showing signs of issues with alcohol, and I don't know what that could be. That could be, well, looking hungover, tired, smelling out of, of alcohol. What can someone do if they're sort of thinking, look, Dave's looking a bit, it's not been the last three or four days and stuff. How, how can you approach that person and what sort of signs can you be looking out for? I think there's a couple of parts to that question. So the first bit is about spotting an emerging alcohol issue. And of course, you've got those classic signs that you've just talked about. So smelling of alcohol, looking unkempt, you know, being late, absence, perhaps disappearing for periods of time, mood swings, that kind of thing. There's also more subtle signs. So always being the last person out on a night out being the person who has lost control on a works night out is likely to be a sign of an escalating alcohol use issue. Yes, it happens to the best of us from time to time, but I was always the person who everyone was gossiping about in the office for like 20 years. I didn't recognise it as an escalating alcohol use issue, and I don't think anyone else did, but it very clearly was. And talking about alcohol a lot So phrases like, oh, I can't wait to get home and have a drink. Oh, it's going to be wine o'clock. Is it wine o'clock time yet? Those types of things. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, they are people talk like that in the office. You'll hear talk like that. But there are some people who talk like that more than others. And it's almost as if, if you've got people like that in your team and you're their line manager, it's about knowing them well enough to know whether they actually do have any coping mechanisms in place other than that glass of wine. I didn't. And yet nobody ever really spotted that. Um, mm. I had no sober role models in my life. I'm not blaming anyone, by the way. But yeah. you know, I'd learned from a young age that when you have a stressful day at work, you drink wine. When you celebrate, you drink wine. When yeah. you celebrate, yeah. you drink yeah. wine. Yeah. Like, you know. yeah. And I, I hadn't really learned to process my feelings without just pushing them down. And there'll be people like that in your team. And, and these people are they're nowhere near addiction. But they're just starting to show some subtle signs that should they run into a bereavement or um, a loss of some kind, they could easily tip into dangerous drinking. And so those are the kinds of signs. And actually, what I would probably suggest is 
with those subtler signs rather than singling people out or trying to have a conversation it's about introducing the topic of alcohol into the wider workplace well-being agenda so that people have got access to the information one of my favorite things that i do with employers is to go in and set up a peer support network across the organization aimed at what we call the sober curious and bring people together to share stories about their relationship with alcohol basically and, you know, lots of people have said to me, this is never going to work. People won't want to talk about it. But that's just simply not true. It does work. <laughs> I've got amazing yeah. testimonials from people who will tell you exactly how powerful it has been for them. So yeah. opening up the conversation about alcohol is a really important starting point. I think there's also a piece around policy. So go mm -hmm. back to that intranet search and read the policy. If you're in a policy making role, yeah. How yeah. about being crystal clear in that alcohol policy that if somebody discloses an alcohol use issue, that you will first seek to support them rather than discipline them? That would give the person who's wondering whether to say something or not the confidence that it is your company's policy to offer them some support. That's a game changer for a lot of people. Because then they could go to their line manager. Obviously, this policy needs to be accompanied with line manager training, etc., to make sure your line managers are equipped. But someone then going to their line manager and saying, I've read the policy. I feel worried about my alcohol use. It says here that you're going to support me. Can you tell me more about that? And then your manager's knowing what, what is on offer, you know, whether it's the EAP or private medical insurance, whether it's a third party who they can talk to, whether it's, you know, something that's outsourced, like this kind of services that we offer. We offer a kind of yep. ask me anything service. Yeah. can just book in with me and chat to me about yep. their alcohol use and get good quality signposting. Any of those things, you know, it doesn't have to be expensive. It can be really simple. But yep. having something in place that says we will first look to support you. I, I've said it at the top of this podcast, Janet, that this wasn't going to be a preachy sort of, yeah, no, so far it hasn't. I really like the subtle approach we've had here, the the idea of a sober curious. I mean, I have that really interesting, I, I deal with words most days anyway, but doesn't sober curious group really twists it around, really changes the conversation, doesn't it, to oppose yeah. to problems with alcohol. And I think it's being able to, there from that point, because, yes, I'm sure there are lots of people who are probably struggling. I think, OK, well, and there's more people that are in that group. And then what you're doing there is instantly creating a culture in the workplace of this is that's going to make people feel comfortable and more and more people are going to feel comfortable. I don't think that stigma is ever truly going to go because it's going to be around, isn't it? But if it can be tapped away at by little cultural yeah. chips, then it, then it does yeah. make such a difference. And then you do... And what I think will come from this conversation is about the support. If you feel supported rather than you're a bad person, because no one, we're all human at the end of the day and life happens and, and stuff. So is that a fair comment, do you think? That sort of yeah. caring, kind um, yeah. environment to, to create, really. It doesn't have to be rocket science. No, absolutely not. And there's so much power in peer support. I mean, at the end of the day, that is really what AA is, ultimately. Um, it's a peer support network, although the Sober Curious Society, I must stress, is very different to AA. There are no dusty church halls or declarations of alcoholism in the groups whatsoever. And we don't work any kind of 12-step programme. What we do do is we invite people to share their own experiences. So typically we will set the ball off set the ball rolling with myself sharing my own story 
I will then bring in a couple of guests who will share their stories. And then what naturally starts to happen is people from the group start to put themselves forward to say, I'd like to share my story. And we just have month after month after month of content of people coming into the group, sharing their own experience with alcohol, opening up the floor for Q&A. We record the sessions so people can watch them on catch up. And some people come along and they 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 sit there with the camera off, microphone muted. They never speak. They never show their faces. Not They don't say a word. And I, I sometimes used to wonder, you know, is this is this really working? Is this OK? And then I get emails saying, you've changed my life. You've saved my marriage. I'm pregnant now and I never would have been if it wasn't for your group. And all these just intensely emotional emails from people saying what a massive mm. difference it's made to them. And I just think, yeah, this work's really important. And, you know, to your point, that stigma, of course, it still exists. People might want to be anonymous. They, you know, they might not want to switch their cameras on. And that is OK. It's still working. It's still working. Yeah, it's how you deal with it. Yeah, exactly. there's yeah. no right or wrong approach to it, I guess. Exactly. Um, yeah. Let's yeah. talk about um, some of the, um, you know, going back to monitor, because ultimately, uh, from a health and safety perspective, that, and going back to the monitoring side of it, and we'll touch on it now just briefly. But it, you know, if you're if you're a train driver or whatever, no, any any form, if you're if you're working on a heavy construction site or whatever, so there is a place for monitoring. It's an important, yes. it is important, so we can we we can we can find out. But I guess the point again, the point of this podcast is, once that someone has been tested positive or they've been they've been found not found I think found out is the right word, but they've been tested positive, rather than um, I was speaking to someone about this. The other day, rather, you know, how, rather than sort of sending them away, your responsibility lie does lie with with that employer. How does that person even get home if they're drunk? They can't drive, can they? Have, you know, putting little things like that in place. But it feels like to me, Janet, that 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 half hour after someone has tested positive is so important into where that person's journey is now going to go and how. In that half an hour, how are you going to deal with it? Okay, you've got all your checks in place. You've done everything you need to do. You've done the testing, blah, blah, blah. You've got your policy or whatever. But how are you going to deal with that person? And, and again, it's, that, it's about support, isn't it? And sort of just not letting them, all right, we found you. Maybe come back in six months after you've learned. And here's a, here's a, here's a pamphlet on alcohol. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's so important, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And I've heard the good, the bad and the ugly stories about this um, from a wide range of different people. Um, yeah. You know, the most positive story I've heard is that a guy who was effectively tested positive for alcohol, who was then able to share with his line manager, actually, this isn't a one off. This is something that has been escalating for a long time. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to deal with it. I feel so mm. ashamed. Can you help? And was funded to go into uh, rehab for yeah. kind of a month, given time off after that to regroup and, and recalibrate yeah. and yeah. successfully return back to work. And actually the cost of all of that is probably only about the same as the whole recruitment process. You know, when you've got someone who wants to work there and is good at their job and has just run into some difficulty, if it was any other illness, you'd reach into the private medical insurance and, and yeah, pay yeah. and yeah. yet the other end of the spectrum is people literally like you say just being dismissed on the spot and in the mind of that line manager they're gone and the decision's really been made in that moment and there's no coming back from it because ultimately it is going to be gross misconduct and the employer is within their rights to dismiss them if they choose to 
this is how homelessness begins for many people, actually, because they've got gross misconduct, they've been dismissed, they can't claim benefits, they can't get another job, they're already drinking more than they're happy with, and they just slide into deep addiction. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, really yeah. tragic, actually, because for, this, for the amount of money it costs you to dismiss them and recruit someone else, you could actually have given them a life-changing piece of support. And also from an employer's perspective in terms of, as you touched on it a bit, and it's a bit crass to sort of say this, but yes, the investment is it's probably, you've got someone who knows how to do the job. They've got experience. They're obviously good. They've got a few things going on. Now you're going to have to spend money to retrain to get someone else in when you could have helped some. I know that's a crass thing, but everyone, oh, you know, no, you sort of have to yeah, look at the business case a fair yeah. bit here. And, I, and what you say makes sense. It, it absolutely makes sense. And by... I mean, we're talking here about after the event, there's a whole lot more that employers in these safety critical industries could be doing to prevent the problems from occurring in the first place or to make it easier for people to disclose an alcohol mm. use issue so that they don't find as many people, which really is ultimately what the employer wants, isn't it? Your ideal scenario is that you test everyone and no one's over the limit. And so by having those kind of policies in place that say if you come and disclose an issue will help you by providing good quality support for grey area drinkers not just rock bottom drinkers yeah providing that kind of peer support network and starting to normalize the choice not to drink so removing peer pressure to drink you know construction industry warehousing driving mm -hmm. there's a quite a lot of peer pressure amongst men to drink and just subtly changing that conversation to make it easier for men in particular and women to say I'm not drinking can make mm -hmm. a huge difference. As I said at the beginning I was scared of asking for help with alcohol use not because I thought my employer would sack me but because of the peer pressure like I didn't want to tell people I didn't want to tell people that I wasn't drinking like when yeah. I started smoking I never worried about telling people I wasn't smoking. Yeah. When decided to lose weight I never worried about telling people yeah. I wasn't eating yeah cake. but when I stopped drinking I was terrified of telling people I wasn't yeah drinking. yeah that's it's really interesting <laughs> isn't it interesting yeah it's yeah. Uh, that's that's and how that has how that has trope has come to manifest itself over the years it's it's it's, it's genuinely interesting listen Janet I know when we, we spoke before off before we did this podcast, didn't we? We had a chat offline just to talk about what we're going to talk about. And you kindly said, and you just touched on it a bit, that you'd share about your own experiences and and where you've you've come to. And if if you don't mind, would you just like mind sort of touching on your your journey and and what has sort of motivated you ultimately to be do what you're doing now? I grew up in a household full of drinkers, um, as a lot of people did. You know, I was born in the late seventies. The 80s were big, big drinking years, weren't they? And my mm. dad used to drink a lot. My, all my relatives, every wedding, every christening, every funeral was drunk adults were around me. Yeah. In fact, one of my earliest memories is being passed around the pub on men's shoulders. You know, when you put a little kid on on your shoulders? Yeah. In the yeah. pub and then sat down on the bar at the bar where my yeah. mum worked and things like that. So I've always been like a, a pub drinky sort of person. Yeah. And then I was kind of a teenager in the 90s, which... I don't know if you've got any children, but I look at my teenagers and think, you would not survive the 90s. I remember the 90s. 
Yeah, they were different, weren't they? (laughs) They were absolutely crackers. And my heroes were people like Zoe Ball and Sarah Cox, who would be falling out of taxes. and Ladettes. Yeah, absolutely. And we we were kind of the first generation of women who grew up with equal rights as a given. We were like, we can do anything men can do. We can do it bigger. We can do it better. We can down pints. We can do shots. And drinking was part of that. And actually, looking back on it, I was a bit of a victim of alcohol marketing because they really did get after the female market in the 90s. And I I fell for it, hook, line and sinker. And then as I grew a bit older, my drinking moved in home because I had children. Mm. And I was seduced by this kind of mummy wine culture. Uh, it was yeah, there, yeah, welcomed me with open arms. I was like, yeah. yeah, my party days are over. The ladette's gone yeah. to, to be a, you know, a mum. But yeah. it's okay mummy wine cultures here and uh yeah i got really into wine I, I knew everything about wine and grapes and i never saw any issues with it whatsoever but my drinking was getting heavier and heavier and wine is so strong and it's so drinkable yeah. you know i was drinking a lot it didn't really matter because everyone else i knew was drinking similar amounts so i just didn't think about it and it wasn't until i had a complete shock out of the blue that um, my drinking changed so my husband was diagnosed with a brain tumor and it was a complete and utter shock we've been together forever since i was 20 Mm. and i think i was 43 or something when it happened Mm. and my world just fell apart and i thought Mm. that you know we were told that he will not grow old we thought we'd lose him in a couple of years really and he went into hospital for a long time he had two big 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 operations and he had to learn to walk again after the second brain operation and he was in this rehab centre where you know they were teaching him to walk and everything and he was there for about four months that's when I would pinpoint my drinking changing so he was away from home I was home alone a lot obviously with the kids and every night when I'd put the kids to bed I'd just start drinking wine and I just couldn't stop and I would find myself going out and buying a second bottle of wine and I'd wake up in the morning and I'd think I'm not doing that again. I feel awful. I'd go through the whole kind of stressful day of kids and school and trying to do a bit on my job and going to visit my husband twice yeah. a day and taking the kids to see their dad and trying to explain to them what's happening. And it was just horrific. And as soon as bedtime came around again, I was like, I need wine. And I'd just do the whole thing again. It wasn't that point that I actually changed my behavior but that's when it first got bad that's when my drinking became dark and lonely and problematic in a way that it hadn't been before it was actually a couple of years until I stopped drinking from that point so I went through my kind of moderation attempts this is where my drink aware (laughs) googling came in this is the period of time where I just wish that somebody had been there to say there's other people like you who, who were worried and there's help available that isn't AA because there was no way I was going to AA. The stigma was too much. And it took me a really, really long time to find that help. And eventually mm. it all kind of came to a bit of a head one day when I'd got really drunk the night before. And my daughter said to me, Mummy, I wish you would be a better role model. Wow. And yeah. I picked up my phone. I had already found an alcohol counsellor who I thought about seeing and I hadn't seen and I sent him a note and said I'd need help and and that was that was the beginning of what I would call my second chance at life. <laughs> Best decision I've ever made. But as well as the therapy, 
it's been the sober communities and the podcasts and the books and the online support and the app mm. that have really kept me sober. And so much of that is accessible free or at very low cost for people. And people don't know about it. As a drinker, you don't know about it. And just simply being able to introduce people into this world of grey area drinking tools yeah. is very powerful. Thanks for sharing, Janet. Um, you know, really appreciate it. And for all the listeners do as well. And um, um, how's your husband now? Oh, I always forget to say he's alive and kicking. He's doing Excellent. great. Good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> I know it's um, five years ago and he's defying all the odds. So long may that really continue. Good you mentioned... Um, I can see the stigma again comes up in this idea, you know, this grey area drinking, which no one knows. Everyone just defaults to AA, perhaps. And AA has got a stigma to it, hasn't it? It has. Yeah. You said you already said the dusty church halls and stuff. We probably yeah. might not have been there, but that's the idea. And then if you hear that, you and that's so there does need to be this middle ground that you're curating and, and is obviously helping. And and you said, like you mentioned before, like you, you didn't wake up in a a skip one morning or you know with your daughter which you know still just as powerful so you, to understand okay I've got an issue here I really need to do something about it but I do what might be really useful is just you know people that might just want to cut down because that's still you know that's still going to help have health benefits and I'm sure we've seen some of those benefits online or on lists or on or whatever but let you know what are they let's talk let's be let's get them out now what are the one Ben, what was the one benefit that really made a difference to you? Was it just energy, zest for slept well, those sort of things? It, that, that really helped. Yeah, I mean, I would say that for anyone out there who's thinking, I want to cut down, I don't want to stop, um, that is completely fine, by the way. I'm not evangelical about sobriety. I would, however, advocate that you stop for at least 30 days or something oh, yeah. like yeah. So yeah. I, in fact, really, to be honest, I'd say 101 days. <laughs> so 100 days is enough time yeah. for you to get some data to your brain that says I did something difficult without alcohol and it was OK. So yeah. as much as I think the 30 day breaks can be really helpful, you can kind of move events to either side of 30 days so that you don't have to do something. Yeah, so it might be a big work party or it might be a family yeah. thing and you can, yeah, 100 yeah. days, you're going to cover all of that. Yeah, 100 days, you're going to have to do something that you you would normally do with a drink in your hand and you're going to have to do it without a drink. And as an adult, you should be able to do that, actually. Like, yeah. if, you, if you can't do that, why can't you do that? Are you sure you want to moderate? <laughs> can you moderate? Yeah. You need to perhaps give your brain a bit of data that says... I did a difficult thing without alcohol and it was okay because if you want to successfully moderate in the long term you were going to have to go to some events without alcohol because you might have four events in a week so you you just need to learn to do that so I would really advocate um, taking a break and 100 days is enough time to get your brain chemistry to kind of recalibrate art uh, to start repairing itself and for any issues with sleep to go away so in terms of benefits, I mean, sleep is probably the first thing that people notice. So alcohol wakes you up in the night and you just sleep through and it's like, oh, oh, that's that's better. And you start feeling more energy. So like your skin and your hair start to look mm. and people notice. And you start kind of being this really annoying person who bounces out of bed and goes, oh, it's sunny. What should we do? <laughs> and yeah. people are like, well, you've changed. Um, <laughs> but um, you do, you start to feel more positive. And then as the days tick on and you start counting alcohol-free days, 
basically you're setting out to do something that you thought you might not be able to do when you feel this huge sense of self-esteem and and achievement from doing it but then as your brain's chemistry starts to recalibrate the other thing that is really interesting for me is that I started to feel joy in a way that I hadn't felt joy for a long time so same daughter actually I was it was a Friday night I was about maybe two months sober and she'd wanted to go ice skating and I'd always made an excuse because this thing she wanted to go to was on a Friday night it was like an ice skating disco with loud music and loads of teenagers and I, they don't serve alcohol and I didn't want to miss out on my Friday night wine so I never yeah, took yeah yeah I was like well I'm not drinking so I might as well go and I was a bit miserable about it. I didn't really want to go, but I was like, come on, we'll go. And I put my ice skates on. We started skating around this ice rink and suddenly I just had this memory of roller skating as a child. I used to love roller skating. Yeah. And I was like sort of swooshing along the ice and this incredible sense of freedom just came over me. And I just felt this like childlike joy. And I was like, Wow. This is a feeling that I've not had since childhood because there's something about taking in alcohol, which, you know, I started at the age of 13. I think that what I've actually done is suppressed some of the joy out of my life by constantly adding alcohol into my nervous system. And it's only since taking it out that I felt that pure joy, that pure kind of untainted childlike joy back in my life. And I would not swap that for anything now at all and that is why I know that I won't ever drink again and and there's many many people who stop drinking who experience the same feelings now I'm not saying that it's going to solve all your problems and you'll never feel sad ever again but being able to access that happiness is something that I've strived for all my life and I had no idea that it was alcohol that was taking it away from me well just to finish if there is just one piece of advice from an employer's perspective they're a bit worried about what to do there might be someone who's listening who's thinking at work and might be struggling but it's all in the workplace you know it's all the um, stigma might still be there but what is what is the sort of uh, sorry it's a bit of a big question is there one bit of advice you might sort of give someone to take that first step in supporting someone yeah if you're worried about somebody it is always worth creating a safe space where they can talk to you I would be very cautious about asking them directly about their alcohol. I'd ask them about what's happened. Because to be honest, if someone's drinking more than they're happy with, it's because something else is going on. Open-ended questions, actively listening, really understanding. And then you can start to say, and what about alcohol? Are you happy with how much you're drinking in that conversation? Or like, have you noticed that you're using alcohol more? to cope those sorts of questions like subtly kind of bringing it into the conversation giving someone an outlet and giving them the information and saying look have you thought about you know using our leaflet we have a resources for the sober curious leaflet um which if anyone wants to get in touch they can have and have Mm. his intranet i'm not precious about it at all i'd love for you to have it because just signposting someone to say you know, if you are curious about cutting down or thinking about taking a break from alcohol, look at all these resources on here. It may change their life. From a wider employer perspective, if they're worried about the alcohol culture in their workplace, I would definitely suggest that you have a look at doing our cultural audit. 
So you, if you contact me, the first step in getting a, an alcohol safe workplace accreditation is to do a cultural audit. So we have a set of 12 standards that we ask employers to meet in order to achieve the alcohol safe workplace accreditation. And we will walk you through those 12 standards and we will assess where you are now on a kind of red, amber, green basis. And we'll give you an action plan against each of those 12 standards that will get you to the standard. Mm -hmm. And then you can choose to do with that what you will. You know, you can pick and choose which parts you decide to do. If you do them all, of course, you can come into our accredited employer group. Or you might choose just to take a couple of them and say, you know, we'll just go slowly, slowly. But it'll give Mm -hmm. you a really good rounded view of all of the different ways that alcohol might be affecting your business and the people within your business. Sure. Brilliant. That's a really good, tangible place to end, I think, with a good call to action. So, um, Janet, thanks so much for for joining us. If if people do want to find out a bit, where can they go? I'll put some links to show notes as well, but where's the best place to point to to get in touch with you? Yeah, our website is choosesunrise.co.uk. Um, if you click on the accreditation badge on the landing page, that'll take you to all the stuff about our accreditation. And you can always find me on LinkedIn, Janet Hadley. I'm on there every day. So yeah. you know, drop me a note. <laughs> Great. So just, just to, to wrap up, so if you are new to this uh, podcast, please do go back and check out our previous episodes. We've got a hub page which archives all of our recordings. If you do like what you hear, you can follow us also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. We are also available on your smart speaker, marketing have told me to say. So simply ask to play the safety conversation and that will come up. If you've not already subscribed, then please do so. You'll get the latest episodes as soon as they're released. Um, It'd be great if you could rate us and comment on your own chosen platform as that will help us get the shows out to a a wider audience. Finally, please do stay tuned into shponline.co.uk for the very latest health and safety news. And you can also sign up for our twice weekly newsletter now. Thank you again for listening. Uh, I hope you all have a great Christmas break and uh, take care.